level. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn in them uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We have been embarking on a series together, uh, one in which we are laying out the different principles of Victory Life Church's mission statement. And the mission statement that we have is unique in that it is also our discipleship process. So it's not just a list of platitudes, things that we talk about, but it's practically what we do uh, week in and week out as we try to make disciples for Jesus Christ and have people's stories rewritten by Christ Jesus. Last three weeks, we've been talking about joining the story. Some of those entry-level concepts and things that we should be doing as Christians uh, to join the story of Jesus Christ, to allow Christ to remove the barriers between him and us and repent and be baptized and and come into a walk of faith. We talked about uh, joining a church community to begin to build uh, what God's trying to build in our life, and we talked about the church community being that uh, group of people who are drawing near to the presence of God so as to be changed. But as you saw perhaps in the change in our video this morning, now we're going to talk about the second aspect of our mission statement, and that is to live out the story we saw the great uh, scripture from Colossians chapter 2. Now that you've received Christ, it's time to walk in him. It's time to journey with him. It's time to travel with him. What does day in and day out life look like as a person who belongs to Jesus Christ? I have this conversation, and Gene and I have this conversation with our kids regularly about what it means to be a skips dad, what it means to be uh, people who grow up in our household, who who live out our values, and a lot of that has to do with the scriptures and with verses and with the Bible. A lot of times we talk to our kids about being a team, about looking after uh, one another, not only because the Bible says so, but because we know with five kids, if we are not a team, it will degenerate into madness very quickly in our home. Everybody's got to be working together. Everybody has to look to serve the needs of others. We talk about how we want to take care of our brothers and sisters and look after them. And, and friends come and go, but, but your siblings will remain a long time. And so you better look after them, take care of them, be a team, look to the interests of others. And I want to tell you, sometimes they do that. And a lot of times they don't. Uh, my kids are just as big a sinners as anybody else. Uh, the Bible believe, uh, gives us the concept of original sin. We're all sinners from, from birth. We, all, we don't need to be taught to, to do, the, do the bad. We need to be taught to do the good. So sometimes they operate in goodness, and sometimes they do what they want to do. Well, the other morning, it, it was particularly striking. Uh, every morning in our home is pandemonium, and, uh, and that's just normal. We have a sign on the door that says, some call it chaos, we call it family. And uh, we're getting the kids ready for school, and Gina's running out the door, and some kids are still eating, and the baby's up on the bed sleeping, and, and, and I'm trying to get my breakfast together and trying to get my stuff together to leave for work the minute she gets home from dropping off the girls. And I'm doing all this stuff and getting all this stuff ready, and my four-year-old Cameron, he looks at me, he goes, Dad, the baby's crying. And I just thought to myself, oh, great, I do not need a crying newborn right now. This is not what I need in my life. I've got plans, but I've got things to do. So I look at little Cameron, I says, Cameron, thank you for telling me. I said, but I got to do a couple of things, and I'll take care of the baby in a few minutes. So I thought, all right, somebody told me it's good for their lungs to cry for a little bit, so I let it go. Don't tell my wife, she's probably here. Anyhow, I let it go for a little while with the newborn scream, and, and I did a couple other things. I put my toast down, I got my briefcase together, and a few minutes later, I ran up to take care of the screaming baby. And when I got up the stairs, I found the most heartwarming scene I've seen in weeks. Here's my four-year-old and my 20-month-old 
rubbing the baby's head going, it's okay, baby. It's all right. You're fine. Daddy's coming soon. I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know that I'm an emotive person, but I might tear up right here. You know, I'm, I, I, I have that moment where my sons, who should have been watching Muppet Babies, have quit their show, gone upstairs, and made sure that their baby brother's okay until dad can... I don't know if you're clapping for the Lord for me or for them, but I'll take it. So anyhow, we had that moment, right, where, where, where they are living out the principles that we're trying to teach them as a family. Dad might not have been, but they were. They were living out those principles. And, and what I want to talk to you about is, is how we, and, and I don't want to make, make God so much like a human as to, as to bring him low. He's to be honored and glorified. But, 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 but God, God's heart is warmed. God's heart is touched when we begin to live out new principles because of being part of his story and his team and his family. And, and, and 1 Peter chapter 4 talks a lot about that. In the beginning of the chapter, it talks about how we used to live before we knew Christ. But I want to talk about what living out the story means for us practically within the church community this morning as, as the scriptures and Christ have laid out for us. And I believe 1 Peter chapter 4, 8 through 11 tells us how to warm God's heart, or, or better said, how to glorify God with our new lives. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, we'll be verse 8 through 11, and I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. It'll be up on the screen. And before we read this, let me just say two things. I'm going to make Bible scholars out of all of you this morning. When you see things like above all or in order that, when you read the Bible, take note, because we're going to take note this morning at and above all and in an order that above all verse 8 keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling and as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. So let's talk about that above all and that in order that, all right? Now the above all has something to do with three different statements that are made within this passage. And all of those statements have the term one another. One another. Look at verse 8. Keep loving one another. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another. As each has used a gift, in verse 10, use it to serve one another. I love the book of 1 Peter. He writes my three-point sermons for me. One another, one another, one another. He's great. He knew I'd be preaching this one day to you, and he wanted to make it easy. I looked at Pastor Otto. I said, I love this. I, it was Wednesday. I said, I could preach this tomorrow. It wouldn't be interesting, but I could preach it. Because Peter has laid it out for us when we see those three one another's. That one another statement's an important statement. Before we get into what it says about what we should do for one another, let's just talk about one another. This is a concept within the New Testament that you cannot ignore. Go through the Gospels, go through the different epistles, and read that term one another. It's everywhere. And that one another statement is all about how we love and take care of one another within the community of faith. 
within the community of faith. That doesn't mean that it's to the exclusion of the world or those who are outside the community of faith, but the Bible is very specific as to who we should be serving and loving and looking after. Because the new principles by, that which we should be living by when we come to Christ is to overcome the effects of fallen humanity. Fallen humanity has everything to do with unforgiveness and selfishness and looking towards one's own, one, one's own interests. This is what fallenness is. So for those who are beginning to overcome the fall through the work of Christ Jesus in our lives, it's important that there be a community that represents Christ Jesus that is overcoming that self-interest, self-focus, and blame and unforgiveness that the world is living in. We should have a community that one another is present. It's all over the place. Now, we'll be talking about how we show love and care to those outside of the church in the third part of this series when we talk about telling the story of Jesus Christ. But there's an important delineation to make because the apostles, the ones who followed Jesus and, and wrote our New Testament, they spill a lot of ink talking about how we love one another within the community of faith. One another within the community of faith. Not to the exclusion of the world, but because there is something that happens when we love one another that helps us to function as God designed us to function. And the end of this particular passage says as much. Look at the end of verse 11. There's the in order that. When we treat one another the way God has intended us to treat one another, God is glorified through Christ Jesus. When the community of faith lives out God's story together in a way that, that is all about God's principles and God's way and God's desires, he is glorified. His heart is warmed. And may I go so far as to say others might see the goodness and glory of God through the way we take care and serve one another. That's what's going on here in this passage. It's life within the community of faith. So let's talk about those one another's and let's talk about how we give glory to God and how we're supposed to live now that we know Jesus Christ. The first thing that he says in verse 8, after above all, is keep loving one another earnestly. I like to call that love strong because there's something going on here. He says, keep on loving. He puts that in a participle. Keep on loving. And then he comes back and says, earnestly. Or your translation may say, eagerly. Or your translation may say something like, without fail. Keep on loving one another and keep on loving one another. He's really trying to get it across to us that, that what really should mark us as Christians today, mark us as the people of Jesus Christ, are people who are known by our love for one another. Now, we have a working definition of love here at Victory Life. It's one that we talk about a lot, and we think it's informed by Scripture. We believe that love within the church or love for, from the people of God is doing God's best by another person. That's what we believe love is. Love is not a feeling, Lo love is not a, 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 an emotion, but, but from a New Testament perspective, from a biblical perspective, love is doing God's best by another person. There is something called love that's a feeling. There is something love that's an emotion. But, but love in action is what the New Testament wants us to be involved in. My favorite watch is at home this morning. I'm not wearing it. I love the watch. It was a, a, a wedding gift from my wife. It's the, it's the brand that I really like to wear. 
It fits perfectly on my wrist. I, I think it's particularly beautiful. I love this watch, but there's a reason I'm not wearing it this morning. The battery's dead. And I ask you, seriously, even though I, I could have worn it and said, this is my watch, and I, I could have said, look, look how beautiful this is. And you could say, yeah, that's a nice looking watch. I like your watch. That's a good watch. If the battery's dead and it doesn't tell time, is it really a watch? Or am I just wearing a bracelet? <laughs> I'm just asking. Thank you. Thank you. Audience participation. Yes. The, it's, it, it really is just a bracelet if it doesn't tell time. And I'm not into jewelry. So I, I, that's the way New Test, the New Testament views love. That it, it can look like love. It can seem to fit like love. Everybody can affirm, yeah, that looks like love. But are you loving in action? Is your love at work? You know, Peter's good friend John wrote in his epistle, 1 John 3, 18, he says, little children, he says, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't, don't just love by, I love you. Hey, welcome to church. That's nice. That's good. To start, but our love is about the deeds that we do. Our love is about the actions that we, that we undertake. And that's why serving one another in hospitality and love, that's why he's talking about these three one another's together. Because true love takes time. True love takes thoughtfulness. Love takes a sacrifice. Love takes giving up what you want and giving it to another. I came away from a four-hour meeting here yesterday and I went home, and there was one thing I was thinking about, a snooze. I thought to myself, it's Saturday, got to work tomorrow, I'm looking forward to sitting on my easy chair and falling asleep while the kids play on the floor. <laughs> sort of the Gaston moment, if you will. His dream was my dream. Anyhow, I get home, and, and, and I have one of my kids, and I, I, they need attention. And so they said, will you play a game with me? I says, yeah, I get on the floor, we play Yahtzee. It was terrible. Then they said, would, would you read a book to me? I says, yes, I will read a book. And then a book became two books. And then it became three books. And then it became four books. And I'm laying there thinking, all I want to do is take a 20-minute cat nap. But all I really need to do is show love. And, and, and some of you might say, I, I, would, I, would, I would give my left arm to have the situation where you were in. Well, you know what? Sometimes we're not real smart in the moment, are we? But I was in a situation where all I wanted was a 20-minute cat nap. And as I read books entitled Cuddles and Fire Truck, I thought to myself, maybe the cat nap would be more advantageous to me. But sometimes love takes a sacrifice. And I want you to think about those three concepts as you think about love in action. Is it taking your time? Does it take thoughtfulness on behalf of the other person? And is there a sacrifice involved? If not, is it truly love? These are some questions for us to ask. Why is this so important in our midst? Well, we also have a sin nature, and that's the next thing that Peter says to us. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. See, there's a problem with us loving one another. You know what the problem is? We're jerks. Uh, well, I'm not a jerk, Pastor Matt. Well, I am. I'm a jerk. I, and that's, that's, if the Bible could, could have rewritten, been rewritten in the 21st century, I believe that jerk would have been substituted for sin. Because, because I, I, I realize that I, I am redeemed because of what Jesus has done in my life, but God's still working on me. 
as he's still working on you. We still have sin that we're trying to overcome. And the problem is when we try to love one another, we say and do stupid things, don't we? Nobody's affirming this. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. All right, for anybody who's married in the room, I'd like you to affirm this on behalf of your spouse. Does your spouse... No, we won't cause problems. (laughs) Yep, yep. I could see an elder after service, Pastor Matt, that was a terrible idea. Anyhow... We, we're, we're sinners. We, we hurt one another. I, I've hurt some of you. Some of you have hurt me. This is why we must be so intent about loving one another if we're supposed to be the people of God. Because it says that love covers a multitude of sins. That's important. This is an important concept that we're not, we don't have it all together. And that's why we have to love all the more. Now this has sometimes been interpreted one of two ways because Peter doesn't come right out and say what he means by love covers a multitude of sins. The first way that people have interpreted this throughout the years is this. Well, if you love and you're so busy loving, you won't be concerned with the sins of others. You won't be thinking about them. You'll just be concerned about doing God's best for them. And therefore, love covers a multitude of sins because you are so busy loving, you're not worried about the speck in your brother or sister's eye, if you will. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think if we were very busy trying to love one another, we wouldn't so much be interested in, in, in seeing fault in other people. But there's a second way of interpreting this, and, I, and I, I like that one too. And that's that if we're so busy loving and so busy giving our time and our thoughtfulness and sacrificing on behalf of others, that when we do do something that's a little messed up, when we do say something or do something that seems a little bit hurtful, people go, you know what, it's okay. I know they love people, I know they love me. You know, the writer of Proverbs says, trusted are wounds that come from a friend. And in some ways, if you're busy loving and you're a person of love, when when you do have that mess up, when you do have that bad day, people aren't going to write you off. They're going to go, all right, they were having a bad day. Or, you know what, I might talk to them about that later because I really didn't appreciate that. But then it's going to be over because I'll forgive them and if they need to forgive me and it'll be over because we're people of love. there's, There's two ways of looking at this. But, but maybe a third way, and this is what I was thinking about even this morning, that if we're so focused on others, if we have really reversed the fall through the love of Christ Jesus working in our hearts, if we've really become Jesus people, people who have been transformed by the gospel and by the Son of God, could it be that as we continue to turn our focus towards giving our time and thoughtfulness and sacrificial love to others, that the sin in our life begins to be reduced? that when we're focused on others and focused on loving them and doing God's best by them, there's just less thought about me and and what I'm doing wrong and what I could do wrong. And and I, because so much sin comes from our selfishness and comes from our self-focus. That's why love is so important because God wants us to live in this community of faith where we're not blaming others and being unforgiving towards others and, and looking like stone cold sinners. He wants us to live in this community of faith where we're all sacrificing and giving and loving towards one another. That's the first one another. The second one another is this. I'm going to call it open your home. Show hospitality, he says, without grumbling. Now, that was a painful, terrible reality in the first century when this was written. I mean, this book was probably written 55, 60 A.D., and in that day and age, if there was a traveling Christian or someone who was down and out, you just said, hey, come, come stay with me. And if you were a traveling Christian, there was actually rules about this. Three, four days they could stay in your home, and you were responsible for all of their physical needs. 
Now, how many of you have had a house guest in the last year? Raise your hand. You had a house guest? Some of you stayed? H- how many house guests over- had somebody who had a house guest overstayed their welcome? Just say, I'm causing problems all over the place this morning. See, <laughs> see, it's tough. It's tough when somebody comes to stay with you, isn't it? It's the merging of lives. All of a sudden, what you used to spend on groceries becomes what you're spending now. And obviously, your house can't look the way it, it, it did. You've got to go buy a couple new things to spruce it up a little bit. You, you really incur expense. You, you, you change your lifestyle on behalf of another person. And this was a real and painful reality because certainly there were Christians who were given this command and they didn't have two nickels to rub together. Not only that, but guess how many church buildings had been built, what scholars believe, how many church buildings had been built by 55 A.D.? Church was in somebody's home. It moved around in some cases. You, you went to this person's home and that person's home. And not only that, but the early Christians, they believed in something called the love feast. That means you ate together. Could you imagine hosting the church for lunch? You, I hope the church stays small, right? You, do, you don't want the church to grow. <laughs> you got to host everybody for lunch. This is, what, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, put yourself out and put your, your own finances and time and comfort on the line for others oh, without grumbling. Now you say, well, that doesn't really apply so much. Number one, I'm not going to have the church to lunch. Some of you are like, I would love to do that. Uh, so you're not going to have the church to lunch. And there's not too many traveling Christians coming from city to city that would stop at a church and say, hey, where can I stay? That would just be odd in the 21st century. So you say, okay, Pastor Matt, well, we can move on to number three. I, I don't think we can. Because I want to say to you in a, very, in a very literal sense, we see traveling Christians come into our home every Sunday and Wednesday. We see people who are between church homes or without a church home every single time we gather. And this is your home. This is where you belong. This is where you get fed. Is it your goal to show love and hospitality to these? Those traveling folks who come through our doors Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, are you geared towards showing God's love through hospitality to them? Down the hall right now, there are eight people who don't get to hear the sermon or worship with us this morning because they're watching the itty-bitties. They're watching the little kids. And, and there are newer folks who probably put their kids down in the nurseries today so they could come and get a meal here in this community, a, 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 a spiritual, spiritual food and, and somebody's showing hospitality this morning, loving and caring so that, that, that people can come into these doors and worship with us. That there were people who got up early so they could give people a warm welcome at the door when they came into this place. But this is a commandment that is for all of us at all times. Because I want to say to you today, if you've been a Victory Life for a while, you are home and you are family. How are you going to treat those who come into this place? Imagine if you went to a dinner party and your host greeted you at the door and says, hey, why don't you sit in the den? I'll be in the kitchen. Dinner will be ready in a while. Well, okay. You go and sit in the den. You sit there. You sit there. And, and, and you hear all of the other house guests sitting in the kitchen going, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? Hey, good to see you. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was funny. Let's do that again sometime. You're just sitting in the den. As the other eight people are in the kitchen having fun, 
Somebody walks in and says, hey, it's time to eat. You come to dinner, nobody says a word to you. They're all sharing stories. They're all talking. They're all enjoying one another's company. After dinner, they look at each other, hey, let's go out. Let's go out. Let's go hang out. Let's go do something. Then they look at you and say, you probably wouldn't want to go. You're new. I bet you're uncomfortable. So thanks for coming for dinner. We're leaving. Would you ever go back? You'd be like, that is, that is not where I want to be, <laughs> right? But I tell you most assuredly, if we don't show hospitality without grumbling, there could be people who come into our home who feel just that way. No, not in our church, Pastor Matt. Yes, God forbid, in our church. We have to take this command seriously. It's given to each and every one of us to show hospitality when people come into our sphere of influence. It's incumbent upon each one of us to participate in this. One of the greatest things I ever saw, it was, it was great and it was terrifying all at the same time. We have a group of people who congregate out here just to have coffee on Sunday mornings, just chat and have fellowship. I love that they do that. And we had some new people that came in one Sunday and they got here a little bit early for church. Like, oh, here's the park bench here. This is wonderful. Sit right here. Let us get you a cup of coffee. And I come down the hall and there's this new couple sitting right there and there's like 10 people just around them like this. <laughs> like, that might be just a little bit too much hospitality. <laughs> you might be loving them too well. This is not the Inquisition. Give them some space. They can't breathe. And I love that about us. I love that about so many of you, about how you're wired that way, just to make people feel welcome and to take care of them. You do such a good job. But for those of us who maybe are a little more introverted, or for those of us who, who maybe are a little more focused on what we've got to do, focused on getting that meal ready, we can be reminded this morning that part of our love within the community of faith is to show hospitality to those who are looking for a home. Those who are looking for a home. I'm not going to have you do this, but if you were to pull out a registration card this morning and look at it, there would be a little square that you can check. Interested in the life group, first time attender, looking for a church home. You can check that. There's folks who are looking for a place to stay. Will we help them? Final thing that Peter says to us that is, a, is an aspect of living the life in the story of Jesus Christ that gives glory to God the Father and it's to give of your gifts. Give your gifts. Some speak, some have speaking gifts, some serve, some have hands and feet gifts, but all are to use their gifts to better the community, to make this a warmer, more loving, building place. We talked from Ephesians chapter 4 two times in the last month about how we are trying to build something into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. We are trying to build something that looks like Jesus. And Jesus served. Jesus gave of himself. You ever wonder why Jesus wasn't crucified as an infant? The sinless son of God coming down from heaven in order to expunge the sins of humanity? Why didn't God just arrange it for them to make him a sacrifice, like Isaac on the altar as a child? Because Jesus had something to do in this world. And what he had to do was to show us how to live and how to love, how to serve and how to give. He had things to teach us about what it meant to live in real community, what it meant to love one another and to do what is right in the eyes of God. Jesus came to show us not only that he could save us from our sins, but how to live on the other side of salvation, how to live rightly in the eyes of God, how to be fully submitted to God the Father for his glory. That's what Jesus showed us. 
And part of that is using our gifts for the betterment of his community, using what God has given us. Everybody has an important role when we come together. Everybody has something to give. And if you're, if you're unaware of what you could give or unaware of, of where you might fit, that's why we have something like Growth Track to, to, to talk about that and to get you planted in a place where you can serve the community. How important it is that we have ushers and welcome team members. How important it is that we have instrumentalists who have given hours of practice this week to bring us the songs that we did. Extended session nursery workers who are allowing others to come in here today and, and get fed and served in this place. How important it is that we have people that give of their time in life groups and hosting and, and looking at. How important it is that some of you are going to look at somebody new today and say, hey, you want to go to lunch? We all have roles to play. Some of you are intercessors. You'll stand in this altar later and pray for any who might come who needs to be encouraged in the Lord this morning. All of us have gifts to give. And Peter says, I want you guys to listen. If you are speaking, if, you're, if it's a speaking gift, you're a life group leader, you're a class leader, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, your gift is to speak in such a way with such gravity that you are hoping to bring the very word of God to people. But for those who serve, and the Bible says not everybody should aspire to teach, it says it's says few, because it's a, it's a noble task, but it's also a dangerous task. It's a weighty task. He says, for those who serve, serve with the strength that God provides. I, I hear all the time folks who say, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I don't have the time. I don't have the mental and emotional bandwidth to be thoughtful. I have nothing more to sacrifice. I don't have it. I don't have it, Pastor Matt. And you know what? When I hear things like that, I think two things. Number one, I think this person needs a rest. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I hear that, I think, you know, in a very short order, God's going to provide you a measure of strength because you're far too gifted to stay on the sidelines long. You're far too gifted to, to only give your gifts one to two Sundays or one to two Wednesdays a month. You have something to offer when you come into this place. It's not just about getting a meal and getting fed and, and getting what you need. You, you need to come into the church knowing who you are and what you're, what you're here to do in order to serve other people. And if you don't know that yet, that's, that's why we have a wonderful executive pastor who will take the time with you to talk about your gifts, to talk about what, what God has, 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 has given you so that you may serve the community of faith and do what you're good at, all for the glory of God. This is Christ made manifest. This is the reverse of the fall. Any time where human beings who are fallen, broken, and selfish are raised up, are healed, and become selfless, God is glorified. The kingdom of God through Jesus Christ is coming on earth. And you are to be part of that. You are to be a team member of God's team within the local church, making it a place where the love of Christ is seen powerfully and effectively. Two of the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples on the night before he dies 
are two things that have stuck in the emotional memory of the church for 2,000 years. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And right after that, he says perhaps one of the most important things. He says, and by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love, for those of you who know it, what's the last two words? One another. Do you know what the context is? I have a feeling the hem of Jesus' tunic was still wet. Because right before he said that, he knelt down and did the most humble act of service you could do in the New Testament world. He washed his disciples' feet. The Son of God, uncreated, existing eternally with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, took on human form, and his last physical deed of love was to kneel down and wash the stinky, sand-ridden feet of his disciples. And then he said, love others as I have loved you. Is any act of service too small? Any act of love too degrading? Any act of service too much for us when you think about the humility displayed by our Savior. I should say and correct myself, that was his second to last act of love. The final act of love cost him a lot more than pride and a wet tunic. We are to love others as Christ has loved us. Are you loving? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing within the community of faith? That brings God glory through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we sometimes look at our service within the church as merely something small, a little something we do on the side a civic duty to fellow believers. But Lord, you have said that the community of faith in Christ Jesus has the opportunity together to glorify God through our love for one another, our hospitality to one another, our service to one another. That brings you glory, it warms your heart like a dad coming through the door and seeing children who've gotten the message and who are serving rather than being served. It is not of secondary importance. It isn't an add-on to our Christian faith. It is of primary importance. We can call it serving we can call it volunteering. We can call it being the hands and feet of Christ. We can call it loving in word and deed and truth. But Lord, let none of us leave this place thinking that we just executed a small duty on behalf of the Lord this morning. Instead, Lord, may we recognize that together, when we draw near to you in your presence, we have the opportunity 
to give glory to God through our service and love to one another. That we reverse the effects of fallenness and brokenness in this world when we interact with each other with the love that Christ supplies and the strength that you supply. God, may we never look down on any small act of love or service, any expression of hospitality and love. Let us remember that it is what you have modeled to us and what you expect of those who are living your story. As our prayer team comes today at the end of every service here at Victory Life that we can manage, we have a time for you to pray. To ask God, God, what is it that I've heard this morning or seen this morning through the word or through our worship time that I need to respond to and pray about and ask you to do something in me. That's why we have this time. We also have this time that if anybody came into this place with a burden, a hardship, a pain, an issue, that the church family has the opportunity to pray for you. This is our elders and prayer team who are here this morning. And if you brought in a burden of heaviness today, do not leave without inviting one of these people to lift that burden and heaviness with you this morning. So for just a few moments today, let us do what the Lord Jesus said and make his house a house of prayer. I invite you, if you have things to speak to the Lord this morning on your own, you can come and kneel at this altar and say, God, I'm moving towards you. If you have need for prayer, you come and invite one of our prayer team members to pray for you and say, God, I need prayer. I'm done doing this in my own strength. And for those who remain in your seat this morning, have a sweet time with the Lord before you leave this place, saying, God, what is it that you're speaking to me? And we will close in just a few minutes. But for now, the altar is open. And if you need prayer this morning, will you come?